Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Colorado Springs. Welcome to the show, Dan Haberkost. Victor, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and hopefully I can bring some sort of value to your audience. Well, great to have you here, Dan. You're based in Colorado Springs, and you've been engaged in a strategy that a lot of folks have largely ignored. But before we dive into the details, why don't we get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Sure, sure. So my first experience with real estate was actually when I was 16 years old. I was managing a portfolio of rentals for my boss at the time, along with a farm while I was still in high school. And that experience taught me the type of investing I did not want to do low-end properties, very abrasive dynamic with the tenants. And he was basically a slumlord, to put it simply in hindsight. So fast forward through high school and college, ran a number of different businesses. And by the time I was uh, what, 20, 21 years old, I was getting to the point of being done with school. I was running a landscaping company. And I said, okay, well, once I'm done with college here, I'm going to have a lot of extra time because I was working full-time and going to school full-time. How do I take the experience and skill set I've developed over the years and apply it to some sort of business or asset to create some sort of financial freedom? So I started reading different books, reading about stocks, different businesses you could start. And like many others, I stumbled on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I was hooked. And at the same time at work, I was at lunch one day and my coworker goes, yeah, my uh, wife and I finished renovating upstairs. So tenants moved in and we moved into the downstairs of the duplex. And what do you know? They're paying our mortgage. And that was all it took. I uh, ended up buying a duplex before I graduated college, living in one side, renting out the other. At that time, I was still in Ohio, didn't want to stay there. So shortly thereafter, I actually moved here to Colorado so I could hike around and snowboard mountain bike in the mountains here. Fast forward to today, and I have a land and development business on the active side, and then that feeds the passive investing. So there's really two buckets. That's kind of how I frame it. Yeah, so I work for myself, working on building those businesses and continually scaling and offloading tasks as I learn them and moving to higher dollar an hour tasks as time goes on. I love that. And it's such a common story. I mean, everyone I know has a purple book story. Robert's a great educator. He's a friend. He's been on this show several times and I've been on his show and he's made such a huge impact on the world in just getting people to think critically, think differently, sometimes controversial. Sometimes he offends people, but he has really had a massive impact. And I know I'll be forever grateful for, for, you know, the conversations that he and I have had. So Yep. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So today you've moved away from just looking at rental properties. You've done the house hack and figured out a path to at least building some amount of wealth. What's your focus today? The focus right now, great question. So on the active business, I've got the land flipping mostly automated, right? So that involves the buying and selling of land, some for cash and some for notes. And then on the best parcels, I'll put a spec house, right? Just a simple three bed, two bath, 1500 square foot ranch. That way I can get the most out of each parcel. So that's the land business. And I have that mostly offloaded to employees and then also just various general contractors that kind of take and run with the builds once they're in process. So what I'm working on right now is going after much larger parcels to actually be developed and then sold off to the major home builders. Because 
in that space, the margins, you're really just adding a zero or sometimes two zeros to what I'm currently doing. So as I mentioned, working on expanding my skill set to higher dollar and hour tasks. So that is the focus right now. Uh, there's a couple areas in my market where the major home builders are looking and actually buying. And so getting the parcels surrounding, focusing on those is, is really what I'm doing and learning that process to take that piece of raw land, bring utilities to it, subdivide it, et cetera, so you can sell it off to the major home builders. Because the institutional players, most of the time, will not touch the land unless they have shovel-ready lots. And in fact, a lot of them want a graded pad site with the utilities to the corner of the pad site. So that's what I'm focusing on right now because that's a, a new skill set and well, a new pay grade, really, once figured out. That strategy, and it's something that we're doing extensively in-house as well. We have a number of residential subdivisions that we're building where we've con we're converting what would have been agricultural land at one point, getting that replatted into a planned use development and doing the full build out. In some cases, doing the delivering a shovel ready lot to a, a national home builder. In some cases, the national home builder is buying the entitled parcel at preliminary plat approval. And in both cases, there's a very strong lift in the value uh, because we've had a tremendous amount of value by re-entitling it for its highest and best use. Sure. So same thing that I'm working on. How do you choose your markets? How do you decide, you know, this is a particularly good area to do this? Because there's, I mean, there's land everywhere. You can buy, sure. you know, agricultural land anywhere from three to 10,000 an acre. And residential land is added, like you said, a couple of zeros. But not every land is suitable or even desirable for converting to residential? How do you choose? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll try to answer this as succinctly as I can, but there's a couple key points I want to hit on. So I think the concept of an inefficient market is really important to understand. And that concept led me to the markets I'm in. So quick synopsis of that it came from the world of equities, right? So if you're thinking about stocks, you have millions of people looking at the updated pricing every minute of every day. And with so many quote unquote, rational players, looking at that, the price tends to approach intrinsic value. Now there's some shortcomings because many people are not rational, but in the world of equities, it's far more applicable than in real estate. So in the world of real estate, I think single family houses would be a good analogy, right? So many people are trying to buy single family homes that they are much more challenging to buy at a discount. Now, that is not the case with land. It's not well understood. It's just one of those assets that's somewhat neglected because people are scared of what they don't understand. There aren't as many courses on it. It's not as exciting. It's kind of boring. It's just dirt, really. Land in itself tends to have mispricings because it's an inefficient market. Add to that, literal markets as far as location tend to be less or more efficient depending on how many people are there. So keep that in your mind. South of me here in Colorado Springs is a failed subdivision from the 70s. Actually, the same developer who did Lake Havasu did the subdivision. It's about 45 minutes from Colorado Springs, two hours from Denver. And if you think about how much Denver has grown, Colorado Springs, and just Colorado as a whole has grown, 45 minutes south, you have, what was it? It was about 20,000 shovel-ready lots. So all utilities there, subdivision has been done, et cetera. They're ready to be built on. And as of two years ago, I could still buy them for three to $5,000 a piece. That is a great example of an inefficiency in the market. It wasn't well understood. Not a lot of people knew about it. It had the word Pueblo attached to it, even though it's a different place. And Pueblo itself had a negative connotation. So for, for many reasons, that 
market has been neglected and now come to today and it's less neglected. There are far more people from Denver and the Springs and all over coming down there. But nonetheless, those factors led to severe mispricings when you look at the macroeconomic context here. So that has been a huge opportunity to buy and sell land and then also to build houses. So I look for those sorts of factors, right? So where is a secondary or tertiary market to one of the booming areas that has been neglected? And especially if all that work has already been done to subdivide the land, because that is, you would know very well because you're doing it, time intensive, expensive, and a pain in the butt dealing with the city. The markets I have been in have all had those factors. They've been neglected for one reason or another, failed subdivisions, and they were outside of booming areas. So using the principle of, of market inefficiencies and how those come about has helped me find the markets that I've made quite a bit of money in. One of the biggest risk factors when it comes to land is that when you consider market cycles, if you think mm -hmm. about a single family home, you might say, okay, it's expensive right now. Maybe we're in a little bit of a, a bit of a market cycle. Maybe we're in the fourth quarter. Maybe prices will fall five, 10%, but they'll come back. Now, many homeowners can tolerate that five to 10% drop for a period of time, knowing that there's upward pressure over time through inflation and, and that in the end, it'll all just work out. But when you look at land and you get into a down cycle, it doesn't just drop 5%. It can drop 90% because it goes from being in demand to not in demand. It's almost like a binary on-off switch when you get in those market cycles. We saw that, for example, in the, in the wake of 2008, where there was so little development for a span of almost five years that land prices literally fell through the floor. How do you protect against that? How do you de-risk that? What I have done up to this point on the land flipping, I am buying it at 20 to 40 cents on the dollar. And I usually have it sold within one week to one month of having closed on it. So that's a very short window of exposure there. As far as the homes I build, simple three bed, two bath ranches, which are applicable to the two largest demographics in our country. Number one, retiring baby boomers or first time millennial home buyers. And if the market crashes tomorrow, number one, I have quite a spread, like a 30% spread. And that helps because you can drop the price and just try and get rid of it. But number two, those demographics aren't going away. And if you look at the macroeconomic context of this side of the country, it's far, far, far cheaper than many of the markets that be these people are coming from. So I can sleep at night knowing or assuming that if everything goes to heck overnight, I can drop the price and I can at least offload it to one of those demographics. There's going to be someone needing a home. I think I heard we're 5 million single family homes short, something like that in the, in the United States now. So that's kind of my thought process on the homes and the land flipping. Now, how do I apply that as I move towards larger developments? Well, that's just a matter of how I'm capitalized. And again, I'm, I'm working on these now. I haven't officially done one yet, but I have a number of partners who are much older and who have the capital to hold on to that sort of thing if the market does crash. So when I extend myself right to something that is bigger, something that maybe could take me personally out if everything crashed tomorrow, well, I don't do it alone. Then I, I find a partner who number one knows more than me and number two has a stronger financial position than me. And that helps to hedge against potential crashes or whatever might be around the pike. Great answer. Great answer. Well, Dan, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? 
Uh, yeah, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, just Dan Habercost. I'm on there most days, so I'll, I'll get back to you. I love the perspective. I love the concept of the inefficient market because it's absolutely true. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Dan Habercost. That's spelled H-A-B-E-R-K-O-S-T. We'll put that in the show notes as well. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. Talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you.